Let's all join together and pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Amen. How much do you know about Jesus? We're about to find out. Because we're going to do this little uh, Jesus Bible trivia thing right now. Okay? There's no grades, so there's no passing or failing. And unfortunately, I don't have any prizes to give you for getting all these things right. This is just for you to think about how well you know Jesus. Okay? All right? Here's the first one. True or false? Jesus healed someone by spitting in dirt and then having a blind person rub that dirt in his eyes. True or false? Ooh, okay. That is true. Yeah. Maybe not the most sanitary thing in the world, but this is Jesus, so we know it's good. That's okay. Here's the second one. True or false? Jesus was never in large bodies of water because every time Jesus is around a large body of water, He's walking on top of it. True or false? Okay, you guys are pretty good, right? When was Jesus in a big body of water? We know for sure at his baptism, when he was baptized. We got that one. Nice, you guys are good. Last one, true or false? Jesus lived in a foreign country for part of his life. Oh, less boldness. This is true. Jesus did live in a foreign country. When he was a little baby, he and his parents went down to Egypt to keep him safe down there, right? All right, so we could keep going, right? We could keep going forever. And I bet there are some of you in this room that every single question that I would ask, you would get the right answer. Because you know the Bible, because you know Jesus and you know who Jesus is. If that's not you today, no worries. I'd love to walk through more of God's word with you. I'd love to, to get you to know more. But no matter where you are, whether the person who gets all of it right or the person who's still learning just a little bit about Jesus, I promise you, you do not know Jesus like they did. Like these three that we heard about, Peter, James, and John— because they lived life with Jesus. He called them to follow him by name. So these guys did. And they dropped everything. And they went after him. That meant that they would get to go on walks with Jesus and just chat with him about life. That meant that they would enjoy meals together and do this kind of awesome thing of eating food with somebody else. That meant that they would weep together with Jesus, be happy together with Jesus, share all the emotions of life with Jesus. There were years together of a personal relationship with Jesus. So yeah, they know Jesus like, like nobody else does. It's one of these awesome lenses, I think, that God gives us uh, in some parts of the Bible, like some of the Gospels. Like these are words from people that were actually there face to face with him and lived life with him, and knew him. What they do is they just relay their experiences and write them down so we can understand a little bit better what it's like. But it's really, really cool when they share insights of life with Jesus. But then there are some times that they're just brutally honest about themselves, and they don't hide the times. They write it down, 
all the times that they did not have a clue who he was. Like when they asked some borderline dumb question, or when he tells them exactly what he means, just openly and clearly, and they don't get it, and then they do the wrong thing again. I mean, even the people who lived with him still needed some help knowing who Jesus was. What's well, this experience that we got to hear about? Where the disciples finally started to understand that they might not be as aware of who Jesus is as they thought they did. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. This was not the Jesus that they knew. This was different. Blinding Jesus in all his power and glory appeared before them in an instant. It made them wonder, who had they been doing life next to before this? And then all of a sudden, it wasn't just Jesus up there. Then it was some of the most well-known and respected and honored people from generations past. Because then there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now, they saw people who had died with Jesus talking to him about what was going to happen to him later. And we find out that they really did not know what to do with this. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But then this is great, right? He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. The best thing that they could come up with in the moment there was to try to get Jesus to stay there on that mountain because they didn't know what else to think about. They were too afraid to ask. It was pretty, uh, a pretty crazy personal experience. Some personal experiences that we have as people are enough to shape our lives. Like how it starts with the first date with the cute girl, the handsome guy, and then it turns into the second date and the third date, and then a month rolls by, and then you make it official that, yes, you're dating, you're together. Uh, kind of strangely, at that same time, that's when you start to take school a little bit more seriously. And that's when you figure out your career path and nail that down. And that's when maybe you even get in the best physical shape of your life. Time with that person changes you. Or when you realize that you are way outside of your comfort zone in a foreign country with people who live differently than you do and whose food options are not the options that you want to eat and whose language is not one that you can speak really well. But after some times of the highs at the beginning and then the lows, things start to bottom out and kind of level off right in the middle. And things feel normal there then. Fun on a Friday night turns into karaoke with friends. You don't dread the food differences anymore. Now you treasure them and love the flavors. Living anywhere else in the world after where you're at at that time, then that starts to feel weird. Time as a foreigner changes you. Maybe it's closer for most of the people in this room, but deployment for you or your family. Deployment changes you. 
you think about all the opportunities in deployment that you have to put your gifts and your abilities to use along with all the unknown challenges that you can't know until you go through and experience it maybe even the challenges of combat that you've gone through i mean do what i do and ask people what was it like what was the experience if they're willing to share they'll they'll tell you kind of stuff that went on with them but in one way or another they're going to tell you how that changed them and there was a before and an after whatever it's been for you and me as people and our experiences these things happen these experiences anchor our life so that we all have a before and an after perspective that comes from experience this time with Jesus on the mountain should have absolutely better one would have been one of these times for Peter and James and John. And I don't think we can really blame them for doing what they did and wanting more time with Jesus' full glory on the mountain, right? But they forget what he's been telling them for years at this point about who he is and why he was there. Maybe it was mostly the fear, but it's really clear they did not get what was going on. Do you feel like you've done that sometimes with Jesus? I do. I think, in fact, we do it all the time, and it happens without even thinking about it. I think it's the focus that we can have on moral judgments and looking down on the immoral people outside of Christianity which kind of turns Jesus only into this like earthly change maker and earthly difference. The thought pops into our head, if they just had Jesus, then we would finally get through to them and they would finally stop doing whatever. Without the thought going through our heads about any sort of care for those people and their souls. Or maybe on a more personal level for you and me, Jesus can look pretty good for everybody else. We can share the good news of forgiveness. We can invite people to come here and hear about Jesus. An extra night of the week for Bible study with life groups. Sign me up. I'm good. But what about me? Mm -mm. Because I know what I've done. Because I know how I live. And the silent guilt crushes down and crushes us as we turn Jesus' forgiveness into something good for them out there, but not enough to help me here. Whatever it is, anything you or I do to take away from Jesus and who he is and what he came to do is missing out on the perspective that God wants us to have on him. And that's why God the Father has to step in at this point and clear everything up. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If they were afraid before, what were they feeling now? Because now there is no doubt who is in front of them. This, this is God. This is God's son listening to the approval of God the Father. This is Jesus knowing he has been on the right path and how he's going to keep going on that path. This is God's way of making it absolutely so open and obvious about who Jesus is. He is God for us. 
He is God come down to earth to save. He is God coming to help. He's God for us. That's why this is one of the coolest parts of the entire Bible, because God peels back this normally hidden layer of Jesus' glory, and he shows us who he is. And it's all for us, for our good, for our certainty, the basis of all of our hope. God confirms in this experience that Jesus is on his mission to win forgiveness for sinners like us. Suddenly then, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Who didn't change in all of this? Jesus. He walks down from that mountain like the guy that they knew before. He instructs them not to tell anybody because he knew the experience was beyond words and that they wouldn't get it yet. Jesus simply keeps going, ready for what's coming next. If you're a basketball fan, you call it uh, Mamba mentality, Kobe Bryant's sort of way of looking at uh, how to play this sport. You call it whatever you want in life, but some people just have this single-minded focus on getting work done. I have never been around anybody who is living out that characteristic day-to-day as much as my old roommate, who was Nate, okay? Now, Nate was the guy who would ride out with me on our bikes 10 miles from the city center where we lived out to the university where we would teach English. So every morning, 10 miles out together, uh, and we'd be racing most mornings on those 10 miles, and we would teach, and we would go, and it was a really good workout. And then later on that afternoon, 10 miles back to our home in the middle of the city. And then do you know what Nate did? Before supper, Nate would go for a run. And not like a little run. Nate would go for a 5-mile, 10-mile, 15-mile run. And this was Nate's life for months. Rain meant nothing to him. Cold meant maybe like one more little layer. Stuff did not get in the way between him and getting his body ready to run. And then the day of the race would come for Nate, where he would run the marathon. And we, where we lived, we had this really cool tradition where we would go and we would ride our bikes next to him as he was running the marathon as much as we could, and they would allow us to do this. And for 26 miles, he'd pop in his earbuds, lock his eyes onto the horizon, and block out the rest of the world and run. If you're wondering how this mentality kind of worked for him, it definitely paid off as he ran multiple sub-three-hour marathons. And in 2020, he qualified for the Boston Marathon. Uh, Nate could turn himself into a man on a mission and be all about that mission only. This is how you and I get to see Jesus for us now. Because he is God with all the power and all the ability and all the understanding. And he chooses to obey the Father's plan. He heads down the mountain and nothing is going to stop him. Not temptations to quit. Not personal betrayals by friends. Not crowds of people calling out for him to die. Not an unjust death on the cross. 
not even the weight of all the sins of the world and separation from God's love could do it. This mission means too much to him. You and I are the reason why Jesus doesn't stop. And from this point on, you cannot help but see Jesus as God determined to save you. So yeah, you know Jesus like these disciples didn't know him. They were with him when he got rid of the fevers and the demons. They, they did have the blessing of back and forth one-on-one time with the best preacher and teacher ever. His emotions and his care was in full display in body language and tone of voice. Hugs and high fives with Jesus. I mean, how do you get any better than that? But what you're going to hear over the next few weeks during our church season of Lent is what his friends did not get yet. You're going to see Jesus as a man on a mission, and you know what that means. Each week leads into the next. The drama rises to the peak of all history. Every detail God demanded, he would follow through perfectly, all the way to the cross where he is going to yell out that it is mission complete when he finished his work and your sins for good. Because here's the awesome truth. You know that, Jesus. And there's nothing better than knowing what's coming up for him and knowing that it's all done for you. Amen.